Hey, can you hear me okay? Yes, great. Sounds amazing. How are you? Oh, good. It may cut out, so if it cuts out, I'll try calling you back and we'll just kind of see how far we get. Um, sure. Cool. Thanks for calling. Late in the morning. Yeah, thanks for I've totally spaced. My friends have this um, rock show that they've, I, I just, I'm not great at remembering dates, and they're playing up in Flagstaff, so I'm leaving as late as I can, but it's still the road there. I just lose reception every single time, so. Okay. We'll see how it goes. That's yeah. fine. Well, I, the idea for this podcast is that I'm going to talk to people who do creative stuff, whether they're musicians okay. or, you know, art directors or painters or just smart businessmen or women. So I've been a teacher for a couple of years doing, doing music and doing, hold on, I'm just going to put away my guitar. Sure. I get up at six o'clock and I start recording music and do whatever nice. I can. That's great. Try to get as much work as I can in the morning so I can do other stuff at the evening. But anyway, yeah, I've been a you know a teacher of all different things. I work with um, the city of Gothenburg to help them digitize all their services for you know mm -hmm. everybody who lives here all kinds of things and in that work there's a lot of teaching teaching different skills teaching why you should digitize stuff why you should have a service that works for various people and so on and so on and I also do music and film and photography and all of those things and I what I try to do is teach as much as I can so in this podcast instead of me teaching just one person I you know, I might as well try to have a discussion with people. And cool. from that teaching can, you know, the learning I get from you could become teaching for somebody else. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's the frame well, for it. Happy. Yeah, that's great. And I find found you a couple of years back when you had a, um, you know, year on the road that uh, blog that you had and your Instagram post that you had. Yeah, and you know, it's funny, I feel like I should pick that back up because... Can you still hear me okay, by the way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I feel like I should pick it back up. I left my job in um, February and I've kind of been traveling ever since. Oh, this so year? Yeah, so it's kind of a accidental new year on the road, so um, <laughs> I'm way Amazing. behind on my Instagram posts, but yeah, <laughs> it's been a crazy year. Because you worked at an amazing place and you left that job. Because I did. You I worked did. at Masterclass. <laughs> I did. And it, that's all about teaching. But it's, you know, the thing about being a creative, I felt like I could be creative there. But, you know, when you've, when you've worked a job, you automatically, I think, coming into a new workspace and new challenges, you learn a lot. You have to kind of, you're challenged. And I was really, really challenged constantly. Mm -hmm. And I reached a point where... A lot of it was San Francisco, just the cost of living and the city is it never felt right for me. Um, but I stopped learning as much as I would have liked and it kind of became a sort of routine in a way. And I was like, well, I, I need, I'm ready for a new challenge and wanted to get back to LA and it just felt like the right time for many reasons. But um, I learned, I mean, three years there, I learned so much and made so many incredible connections and um, was able to apply my creative skills and even non-creative skills, just producing skills mm -hmm. that I had um, gained advice before that and applied it to everything I did. So 
did many, many things at that company, way beyond my job title, which was really fun. That's amazing. Well, what's your job title there? My job title when I started was uh, a producer, a creative producer. Mm -hmm. So I uh, started with the Christina Aguilera course, and that was my first class, and went on set and designed the curriculum. And um, in the process of post-production, I felt like, you know, we need to understand the brand of all of these amazing people that we're creating classes for. So I created this brand presentation for Christina, and I said, you know, we should follow this through, through graphics, through marketing, through, you know, stuff on the site and the workbooks that we create. Yeah. And I think, you know, just also being on set, I was always taking pictures and working with the director of photography and kind of learning as I went from that too. And it was amazing that my bosses allowed me to kind of float around the set and learn and be really as creative as I could. Uh, and I think that they saw something in me that they needed at the company, which was an art director. Mm -hmm. So I got promoted to art director, did that for the, the, the last two years plus I was there. And so, but that job really in a production sense would be set designing and looking at the furniture and all these things that we dress with. But beyond that, they let me color grade. I was designing motion graphics. Um, I was taking pictures, retouching. So I think like, so I directed four master classes. So, um, more creative director role than anything. Um, it was pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah. Sounds amazing. But there's so much yeah, that I would like to it. talk about that. I'm seeing that the Skype is complaining about a bad connection, so you might break. But, you know, just let's go on and see if it cuts off. If it does, and just call me back. Be good for another 10 minutes and then I'll be in the mountain. But, um, can you stay me okay? Yeah. Are you on a train or are you driving? I'm driving <laughs> up the mountain. Which car? Uh, up to Flagstaff. Oh, not the old one. It would be really loud if I was the old one. <laughs> um, also, I think I need a new battery. It likes to drain its battery. I think my friend left the keys turned and it drained the battery. So this that's car? a whole other thing. Or the, the other. The, the old one, the, the Valiant. The Valiant, yeah. Because yeah. that's also a. <laughs> One of the things that really stuck to me when I was reading up on you and uh, looking at the, the work that you've been doing is that you love those old cars, which makes me like, okay, here's an art director and she's she seems to be pretty young, but she gets these old cars and she tries <laughs> to maintain them and keep them alive for some reason. Yeah, I, mean, I know. It's, it's absurd. It's so absurd. Nobody yeah. I know that's my age does it, and certainly no women, which is a whole other thing, but... Um, for me, it's like you're driving in art, and especially the Valiant with the lines that it has. The guy who designed it, um, I space on his name, I have to get it. Um, he was working at the Gia design house yeah. and decided to go with this crazy design. Plymouth didn't really, uh, didn't know if it would fly, and so they actually didn't put their name on the car for the first couple of years of production. Mm -hmm. It was just called Valiant. Um, Chrysler Plymouth, it was their car, but they, they were so unsure that they didn't want to put their name on it. Um, and it was a pretty stylish car coming out of the 50s, 1960 it premiered. But for me, it's, it's an extension of my love of nostalgia. So, you know, I love driving and art direction is an extension of everything creative I've done as well and photography. And for me, driving the old cars, it's it is, you're driving in art, but you're also driving in a time capsule. So yeah. it lights up all these areas in my soul of like nostalgia for a time that I don't know, but I wish I lived through the 60s. So, <laughs> you know, my dad would talk about the summer of love and you had to be there, man. And he was a surfer. Mm -hmm. He never liked cars, but I kind of got a love for the 60s because he would just talk about it. And mm -hmm. 
show me photos and reminisce. And I was like, man, the 60s sounded so great. <laughs> so, and the cars from the 60s are so great too. That's my favorite decade, I think. So yeah, I had a Corvair and now I've got a Valiant. I also have a 68 Carmen Ghia, which is still in the shop. Yeah. Getting painted. Yeah. But maybe it's, you know, it's the love for the no nostalgia that you never got to, uh, to be around that's getting, you know, in your brain that you love these cars and the shapes and, and the sounds and the colors and whatever they bring. So maybe it's that. It is, yeah. In some way. It's all of that. I mean, mm. if you can drive in the American Southwest in one of these cars, you don't, you know, you can't really place what time you're in. You don't know what decade or especially if you put the music with it then you're fully in an art installation you're basically driving in in 1960 or 1930 it's about a convertible on the california coast mm. it's life-changing i mean and i think there is a romance for route 66 and california highway one but a lot of europeans come over and um they get motorcycles or they get old cars and they want to experience that they want to yeah. try and live it by driving it exactly know? yeah 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 because the scenery hasn't changed that much uh-huh. So it's true. When you get out into the open spaces, you yeah. don't know where you are. It's pretty great. So look, th there's an obsession with that for me, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and when you look at the yeah. pictures from Year on the Road, you see that a lot of those people that you met during, you know, small towns and crevasses and all those places that you got stuck on or you stayed at, it seems like time <laughs> yeah. stood still so many times that the, the romance of time and an age that never existed just is there for you at that moment in that picture. How much of that Definitely. do you bring to your everyday work? Because I mean, LA and San Francisco, they have their spots, but they're not really old in, in the sense of the pictures and the feelings that you try to convey from those. Ah, oh, lost connection. Are you hearing me? Or is the sound gone? Yes, I can hear you. Yeah, good. I can hear you. Yeah, it goes, okay, it comes no, and goes. I'll probably but... have another five minutes and then... Yeah, if it breaks... When I get to the top of the hill, I'll hear you again. If it breaks, it breaks. And, you know, it will just get back to it another day if it's not working out. So it's not a problem for me. Well, if I get to the top of the hill, if I am once I'm at the top of the hill, I can talk for another half hour, forty five. All right. So I'm going into the mountains now, but we'll talk till we can. Okay. So you're <laughs> saying how much do I bring to my work? Yeah, to, to your everyday, from all those uh, travels that you do, from from you know the '60s feeling and. Uh, the picturesque uh, images that you tried to bring from that era, how much of that kind of feel or romance do you bring to your everyday work as an art director? As an art director? In, uh, hmm. I would, hmm. So I'm not doing art direction so much at the moment, but I would say when I was in the job hmm. um, and when I'm able to apply it in art direction, um, I think a lot of it, you know, so, for instance, when I was designing the set for Steve Martin, you know, I look back at what he was doing in, throughout his career and the look and feel and the way he used to dress and the areas that he would hang out at and the, the era that he lived through. Mm. We tried to create a set for him that felt like 
a timeless set in a way, but had the style and essence of him threaded throughout it. So we made this beautiful sort of mid-century modern color-driven set because he's a very colorful person, but he's quite serious in real life. Yeah. So, you know, in the sit-down interviews, in the office scenario, I wanted, you know, bookshelf behind him, but let's paint the whole thing, this sort of muted classic blue behind him. And that looked really beautiful with his skin tone and his hair as well. Yeah. And then when he's with the students, we put him in this room that looked like kind of Mad Men-esque, really nice, clean, mid-century modern, um, uh, what would it be, the type of wood, um, sort of, like a oh man, theater? no, uh, man, I'm spacing the sort of wood, but you know, those clean mid-century modern lines and sleek furniture that would have been in the households of someone who's well-to-do in the 60s, some, mm. like a very classy gentleman, and had colorful furniture and, and really nice wool fabrics, interesting lamps, just things around him that made him feel like mm. it reflected him in a way. And the students were all dressed in colors as well. He was in a bright suit with a really bright um, shirt underneath. That green and, shirt is yeah. <laughs> really hideous, but it works good yeah, with the, in the backdrop. Set. Yeah. And it kind of allowed for him and the students to be a little more playful and but but at the same time be serious and classic and mm -hmm. I think everybody responded to that really well and the fun thing about art directing the masterclass sets was that we created every set from scratch you mm -hmm. know the Samuel L. Jackson set you know I found out that he loved to read books so I thought wouldn't it be cool if we had with him this really open airy loft type just like a bachelor pad um <laughs> type space with white books you know all the spines were white so it's almost like you write your own book kind of thing yeah. he loved it and he wanted to wear the same color as the set so <laughs> we would have wanted like him in sort of he loves to wear purple so it's like what if he's in purple or bright blue but he wanted to match the set he liked it so much he was like no i'm gonna wear this i'm gonna put this cream suit on in this cream room um <laughs> but all that stuff was built for each instructor and they look like real spaces but they're not they're built by incredible production designers with a great team and they take you know a day or two to build and it was just pretty phenomenal to see my pinterest boards then my sketches and yeah. back and forth with the production designer to see furniture choices and then watch all that come to life with an actual build was really cool so for me it's it's a sort of respect for what has come and gone mm. respect for each of the masters and their brand and then kind of trying to mesh it with masterclass which was a very classic polished feel um it really seemed to work really really well for everybody that we shot with yeah it does um, it's, it's amazing i i really it love it yeah I, i love it i love the classes and i love how it was put together it just seems so effortless but i know that there's tons of work behind it so good job on that thanks <laughs> yeah it was a challenge but uh professionally yeah like i said i learned so much and will continue to apply all my learnings into things I do now. Mm -hmm. And I think cars are an extension, again, of that. It's, you know, for somebody my age, I'm not able to afford a mid-century modern house, especially yeah. with the housing market the way it is. That's insane. But I can afford to get a vintage car and fix it up and drive it and enjoy that experience. Yeah. And for me, almost, it's, I can enjoy that every day. And in a house, I don't know if I would enjoy it as much, to be honest. You know, you can play music and walk around a house and maybe when I'm older I'll I'll want to settle into a, a, mm -hmm. a classic style house but for now I think the cars and they and being able to drive it around and it brings a smile to people's faces I, I just met a neighbor mm -hmm. 
at my mother's in Sedona that I'd never met before because he walked out when I was working on the, the Valiant and he said, I learned how to drive in a Valiant. And I was like, excuse me, I've never, hi neighbor, I've never met you. <laughs> it, it brings people together and, and brings up conversations and everyone else's nostalgia pours yeah. into the conversations too. It's, it's pretty fun. So I end up meeting really a lot of older people who just yeah. have amazing stories. I think that's, uh, that's one of the facets that you can bring with having an old car and taking it out on the road and being a young person doing something that most people dreamt about when they were small. But, you know, it's, it's not attainable, it's not affordable back in the 60s for most of them to have mm -hmm. a Valiant or a, or a Kia or any of those cars. But today, I mean, they're, they're not super expensive if you find a decent one, but just, just the memory of it's it. It's not bad. It's, so you know. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. But it's, they're not as expensive as you would think, especially for the underappreciated ones, which is yeah. my kind of niche is finding, <laughs> you know, I have a mechanic in Tucson that loves to say, he said, yeah, you know, you can get a Mustang, but Mustangs, they're like belly buttons. Everybody has one. Mm. So he has an appreciation for the, the offbeat classics. And I think I've always had that appreciation. So I connect with him on that. But, you know, like the old, um, the Gremlins that everybody thought was the ugliest car ever made. Yeah. I would love a Gremlin. <laughs> because they're just it's a find. weird part of history mm -hmm. yeah they're weird well let's go back a bit if you you know to, to, to see where you came from and, and what you learned and how you grew up and so on so that we get some sense of direction here where did you grow up and yeah what kind of schools and, and background do you have I'm afraid I'm going to cut out, but I can sure. I can start this and then pick it up at the top of the hill. Okay. Um, I was born in England in a very, very small town on the coast um, and moved to South Texas when I was really young with my parents. Uh, my dad's American, my mother's English, and was raised in England, South Texas, Dallas, Texas. And then when I was a teenager, we moved to Sedona, Arizona, moved there with my mother. And it's this hippie mountain town. Um, and you're just surrounded by the most sublime nature. And I think having that quiet and you know not the city life and no distractions for me allowed me to kind of find my hobbies and find out kind of who I was in a way that a lot of my friends who were raised in cities never did. I just didn't have any distractions. And um, I fell into photography by just, you know, I picked up a camera and obviously the scenery is incredible, but got a love of, of um, just taking pictures and going into the dark room and making them my own. And, and you know, Photoshop is a digital version of the dark room. So um, from there, I mean, the schools I was in were always sort of normal elementary schools and middle school and high school. Nothing really outstandingly special about that. But I think the summers that I spent in England, every, every summer I'd spend three months in England with my grandparents. And I think that had a huge impact on where my hobbies ended up landing because I was spending a lot of time with their friends, older older people, um, who had hobbies like um, collecting old guns or embroidery. And so I would go and shoot guns with these old men <laughs> and garden and paint and read books, voracious reader, and had this, this link with the past that I didn't have any modern sense of, but I, I craved that history and that respect for things that were like amazing poets and painters and photographers and I would just kind of 
explore the facets of growing mind when I was young in England and my grandparents allowed me to kind of pick up whatever hobbies I wanted to and my grandfather was the car collector okay. and I think that must be where it comes from for me he had um, growing up my mother said you know she was embarrassed he would drop her off to school in his Rolls Royce and, and no one else had a Rolls Royce <laughs> but he uh, he was in the gambling industry and he kept coming to the states and would go to Vegas and lived this incredible life colorful characters and he loved American cars so he had a Model A in his garage and at one point had a garage in Texas that he didn't tell barn actually didn't tell my grandmother about and she found out when he passed but he kept the warehouse in Texas and kept it from her mm -hmm. and when he passed I think she sold everything which was heartbreaking but he he had this fascination and love of old motors and old cars and I would wash his cars for him and I think that, that definitely spurred me on to wanting to he left them because my dad never cared about cars would never talk about what he drove when he was young or anything like that and so I think it started there um, I went to high school in Sedona and it was kind of an art driven school in some ways but again allowed me to just find my niche and create they let me paint on this I did a mural on this huge wall and would just skip classes and go paint on this wall did a sort of Roy Lichtenstein 60s um, I went to the principal I was like can I paint on this whole wall she was like sure go for it <laughs> just write a proposal and you can do it whatever you want to do it's still there um, but you know the artists from the 60s like, I fell in love with the pop art movement and all these things that were happening with you know free thinkers and careers playing with color and, and the automobiles certainly from that era um, when I was 18 I moved to LA and I started modeling and two years later I started becoming a photographer because it's way more interesting to work on the technical side of it than just You're just breaking up now. It's hard to... I'm back. All right. The last no thing I heard was uh, painting a mural and teacher saying, do whatever, it's fine. Just Right. So, yeah, being in that high school, I think, in the mountains with... You know, I didn't feel like I loved high school and a lot of American kids hate high school and they can't wait to leave home and get into the real world. Mm -hmm. I loved high school. Um, Is there a particular reason why? I think because I was just allowed to do what I wanted to do and there wasn't peer pressure and I sure kids partied, but there wasn't, uh, it wasn't like being in a big city where, you know, you had to get straight A's and get into the advanced placement courses and there was no pressure to get into Harvard or anything like that. I wasn't living in New York City or LA. Um, so I kind of chose my own path from there and it, and it led me back on the road. I think moving around a lot when I was young gave me a love of movement and freedom that, that travel gives you and certainly being on the West Coast, LA was right there. So I, I moved to LA right out of high school and um, I started modeling and was signed with Elite and got to work and make money as an adult. And I really got a love of being able to have independence and would talk to the photographers on set and started doing my own work um, and hit the road a few years after that with a company called Polite and Public. And that was more or less a mobile photo studio. So every 
client would have different needs and we would create these little worlds and, and shoot portraits of people. So I did that for, man, six years probably and shot portraits of thousands of Americans all over the country. And just being on the road doing that, I just couldn't not be on the road. So yeah. although I'd moved to Chicago by this point and had settled into that life, I just couldn't get away from the fact that I need to be on the road and I need to be photographing and experiencing and documenting and that's when the year on the road started when I left Chicago mm -hmm. and uh, you know eventually I went back to school for sustainability um, mm -hmm. it's funny because in the US people will just get degrees and then not use them so yeah, I wouldn't that say weird? <laughs> <laughs> yeah I wouldn't say I've used my degree per se I'm glad I did it and while I was finishing I had to spend a year in Phoenix so I opened a gallery in Phoenix to uh -huh. kind of be in the art scene there and know what that was like and support local artists and connect with people and it, that was really fun and I didn't do it for profit it was almost like you know it didn't cost as much money as you would think but I would just host these monthly rotating thematic shows and I really liked the idea of choosing a theme and curating art for it and going off of themes in that sense and um, I moved to LA after that and started working at Vice, creating documentaries and um, finding strange stories. And that was really fun because that kind of involved a lot of things I've been doing prior, which is just meeting people, digging up weird stories, photographing. And um, yeah, and from there, LinkedIn, I got headhunted, as they as they call it, uh -huh. by this guy, David Rogier, who said he was starting this company for online learning, but from the best people in their fields. And I mean, because I think I'd done my college online, a lot of it, I was intrigued, but once I saw the quality of the footage that he showed me, Dustin Hoffman, Serena Williams, um, I was floored. I was like, this is incredible, and I don't know why no one's doing this. So, yes, I'm on board, and that brought me to San Francisco, um, a place that I never thought I would live. It's it's difficult to have a classic car there, too, so I, I had to sell my Corvair before I moved up, and that was a huge sacrifice. But, yeah, it just sort of all roads led to San Francisco, and now I'm back on the road. <laughs> There's a, you whisked by so many topics that were super interesting to talk about. <laughs> I'm, so sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly sure where to go back, but there's two things that I, I at least want to touch upon. One of them was going away to being a model, but not work, really wanting to work as a model, choosing photography instead. Was that something that, you know, I need some income modeling was you know, offered, so I'll take that for a while, or how, you know, the switch. <laughs> yeah, well, when I was a teenager, my mother had a friend, he's an incredible makeup artist, his name is Matthew Anderson, and he took pictures of us when we were young, when I was just a teenager, and um, I mean, I'm not as tall as my older sister, she's 5'11", and, and she are? really, I'm only 5'8 and a half on a good day, so, <laughs> you know, and that, now the modeling scene is totally different. I mean, back then, if you were 22, you were done. Like, as a model, you kind of, yeah, you, you start young and you end young. Um, mm. Now it's completely different with Instagram and there's a lot of lifestyle models who are 5'6", five, 5'5", five, five, doesn't really matter. Mm. But um, he shot all these pictures of me and I, I just sort of picked his brain and I said, you know, this is something that I want to do. I think for me it was being able to participate in the creation of beautiful images. And I wanted to obviously make a living on my own as an adult. I just wanted to be an adult from age 18 on. I was like, I'm ready to be on my own. Not not in the sense that I didn't want to 
have family around. It just, I just was ready to um, live and make money as an adult to get going. Yeah. And I saw modeling as a really good way as an inexperienced young person to kind of do that. So I, I picked his brain and he said, well, the first thing you need is uh, you need to get an agency. And so you can use the images I've shot of you and do that. So I flew myself to LA when I was in the final year of my high school and I went and agency shopped, which I thought was no big deal, but it's, I, things just <laughs> fell into place for me. I don't know. And, and it's, I just, I had my pick of two or three different agencies. It was really incredible. So I chose one, moved to LA and from day one, just, you know, on these big city streets, I'd never driven in a city like that. Yeah. It was very intimidating, but I, got booked on enough stuff where I was making income and then any free time I had was travel. So it was like, Oh, my first road trip, uh, was up to Seattle from LA and I love, I'm about to do that drive again in two days that drive up the coast and just this country, America is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, It's beautiful. And every state's different and different people and different cities and history. And I think I see, I saw modeling as, um, as just a job, hmm. uh, just a job. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the women that I was modeling with, some of them are still modeling. I mean, I'm way older than 22 now. Um, <laughs> and they're still going at it and still clutching onto that dream. But I was like, no, this is a great way to make money because I don't have any other skills except restaurant skills and hmm. allow me to bit, meet people a bit more pragmatic in, in the way of approaching that a little. And there was more pressure there than I'd experienced, you know, for keeping your weight a certain weight and mm. don't get tan lines. And, um, I my, my agent, Jackie was, a Oh my God, she was, she was, um, fiery. And she said to me one day, she said, have you been going out to eat dinners a lot? It looks like you've gained a little weight. And I was like, Oh, you're right. I have been going out to eat. Oh, I should probably not do that. Okay. But I never, it never <laughs> felt like it, there was that. I never really clutched onto that pressure. I didn't let mm. it define me. So I was excited to meet photographers and, and pick their brains. Like, what are you shooting with? And how did you do this? And how did you do that? And I just didn't, I didn't want to only be a model. So I, it was a natural progression. And I didn't go on to shoot fashion either. I thought maybe when I'm older, I'll mm. have a different perspective to shoot fashion. But being young, you know, it's, it seemed pretty boring to me. So I mm. shot landscapes and people. It kind of went that direction. More just documentary. Just see what yeah. life is. Mm. Yeah, I mean, my favorite photographers, like the, the French street photographers and Cindy Sherman, even doing self-portraits like that, that was mm. way more interesting to me than a Gap commercial or, you know, a Vogue story. Although some Vogue stories are incredible, but sure. I was too young to appreciate mm. appreciate that and that perspective. So, yeah. <laughs> How old are you now, if I may ask? <laughs> I'm 32. So... That's when I nothing. tell people the stuff I've done, mm. they're like, what are you, 45 years old? Are you 55? That's amazing. The places I've lived and the things mm. that I've done um, with no regrets, really. I mean, I just, I wish I had more time, but mm. we all have more time. Yeah, until the time ends. I mean, do whatever you can. <laughs> it's, there, it's always going to be that point sometime. So why not just do anything that you can? Very true. But you, yeah. went, you went to a school also that you... Was it art school or, you know, the last one that you attended? Or, um, so I or... actually did a, a year of college while I was modeling, and it I was paying for, I mean, I've always paid for everything. I was never lucky enough to have parents to fund anything, so everything I've ever done has been me. And when I was in college, 
you know, I got some scholarships, but I was still paying for it in the end myself. And I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And I thought, no, this doesn't make sense. If I'm just going to school for English literature, what, what am I going to be a teacher or an artist or a writer? I didn't, I didn't see the use for it and it was taking up a lot of time. So I dropped out of school. I was more disappointed with myself than my mother was. <laughs> and so that was when I was 20 and I went back to school when I was 24, 25 and for sustainability and sociology, because I think people interest me as a whole less um, psychology, you know, I don't want to have people sitting on a couch telling me their problems, but the patterns of humanity and the, the way society works was really interesting to me mm. in regards to sustainability as well, because I think, you know, I, I think our planet is <laughs> not headed in a great direction. So I focused on food and farming, which is a huge love of mine too. So mm -hmm. traveling and food go together for me in a huge way. Mm -hmm. um, so I did that. And the last year, like I said, I had to be on campus for so but there was no no creative um, classes really. That I, I did ballet maybe, but um, I did take one photography course. And I remember the teacher wanting to show everyone what a good picture was and what the right picture was. And uh -huh. I just felt like he was so out of touch with, you know, building people's own eye in photography that I, I couldn't vibe with it. It wasn't like, oh, my eye's better than yours. It <laughs> felt like he was trying to put his eye onto us. Uh -huh. And photography is one of those things Anyone can be a photographer. Yeah. As long as you know the equipment, you shouldn't have a teacher telling you this is the right kind of picture and here's a good composition and here, you know, because everyone has a different opinion. That's a funny thing about uh, people being teachers. The motivation to, to be one might not be to teach. It might be more to get a salary and to get a you know, good income for your kids and family instead of mm -hmm. the actual teaching. Funny. Definitely. Most people that I've talked to have similar experiences in in when they went to school i went to music school for instance and the teachers i had there were you know they were some kind of musicians but they were not creative they were only playing other people's music and sheet music and so on and talking about how music should be played not how it should be felt and how you it should be mm. you so you know most kids that went to that school they they lost interest and we all spaced out to different bands and so mm -hmm. it's it seems like there's um, there's so many teachers out there that are not really interested in in the creative learning and, mm -hmm. and, and you know inspiring people because that's what you should do as a teacher absolutely yeah i wish more teachers would would realize that but maybe they're also failing artists themselves and that's where it gets very existential <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a hard hard decision to make if you're gonna be a teacher or I'm gonna pursue my whatever interest I have and see where it takes me because you know failure is always gonna be on the wall if you look at that side of things, mm -hmm. so. definitely but you quit your job now recently and what's up next well, right now I'm I'm actually working with my old boss advice to post-produce a documentary that I'm not allowed to say too much about, but mm -hmm. um, it is about the, I can generally say it's about um, the opioid epidemic, which okay. is sweeping through the country. Yeah. So I've been doing that. Um, I did work at Technicolor for art direction in virtual reality for a few months. Mm -hmm. That was crazy. Um, very interesting. Which is very, it's difficult to art direct in VR. So I found myself just um, analyzing a lot of the products out there and seeing how 
professionals could use it to create scenes and and it's quite difficult and there's no one program that's great for that so I did a sort of contract position over there um and yeah I'm working on a few different concepts with people and then really the one that I'm most focused on I would say is just getting classic cars back on the road and hopefully using <laughs> the cars that I have to create content so it's uh, my friend and I started this company called Journey Restorations, mm -hmm. and we've got the 68 Carmagia, which I've had for a few years now, and now the 1960 Valiant wagon. Mm. And so I'll be driving that around Arizona and going to approach different tourism boards and branding partnerships and see whether it's possible to create content using the cars. I think, you know, a lot of people certainly millennials they're more into experiences than things mm -hmm. but i think an old car is a thing that gives you an experience so Absolutely. for me that's that's the romance of it so i think to to bring people into the world of classic cars and being on the road and eventually selling the cars as well so building up romance and making people lust after these cars and appreciating them for what they are mm. educating them along the way and doing little videos about you know here's how you change your thermostat which i have to do on the old car soon because <laughs> it, ke it keeps showing that it's running very very hot but it's actually not so little things like that and learning along the way um i'm hoping to get a convertible in the next few months as well because that's my favorite to drive around mm. but yeah just taking them back and forth from arizona to la and really capitalizing on the experience of driving a classic car mm -hmm. so we'll see how that goes but that sounds <laughs> that's amazing kind of yeah, it's a long shot, but I don't know of anyone else, certainly no women who are taking cars and restoring them, minimally restoring them. I'm not picking up rust buckets and trying to make them show perfect, <laughs> but really I'm taking cars that are drivable and then making them a little more period correct, but just appreciating what's been done to them because every car has a story and they have little quirks and, mm. you know, the door handle only works if you do this. It's just mm. these little things. They're not perfect, and that's what I really like about them is that, you know everyone who's owned them along the way has done something different. The guy wood paneled the entire interior of this Valiant. It's absurd. <laughs> it's like, I don't know whether he wanted to be a boat maker, but the whole thing inside is oak and um, pine, makes, I think. It's it makes crazy. the car a bit more heavier as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to wobble more. It's going to be more of a boaty feeling when you drive yeah. fast. Definitely. Amazing. It's just fun, yeah. <laughs> I hope that really works out for you and that you make a ton of money so you can get gazillion cars and do the same journey with different people oh, and, you know, experience definitely. more. I think that's a good Thank idea. You. Sounds Thank you. Yeah. It's a little risky, but I mean, I, I this is my passion. So it when I tell sound, my friends, they're like, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't sound like you really care about risk at all. I mean, it sounds no. <laughs> more of uh, the Rambler type than anything else. If there yeah, was a, risk. Yeah. Mm, if there was a bare knuckle fight, you would probably put some money on that. <laughs> yeah. It just yeah, gives you I more think, adventure. I, I think without risk, you know, for me, it kind of makes me feel alive. It's like, oh, this is a little risky. This could be a lot risky. But mm -hmm. if I'm passionate about it and I believe in it, I think the only bad thing that's going to happen is I learn and I sell the cars for what I bought them for, which isn't the end of the world but i can no. i can still experience owning old cars and passing them on to the next person which i think is another thing about collecting classics i don't want to have a car and keep it in the garage forever i like driving them and, and eventually passing them on to someone that's going to love them even more than i do yeah. 
and follow oh. up on that person and see what they did. And so you can make a whole series just out of that. Where totally. I, yeah. I saw that the Corvair is sold to this guy, Mitchell. Mm -hmm. He loves air-cooled engines. The Corvair is the only American air-cooled engine. And it was a strange... It, really, it did great for gas mileage. If it wasn't for Ralph Nader calling it unsafe at any speed, <laughs> you know, it could have revolutionized the automobile industry here because it was such a strange vehicle. Volkswagen had been making air-cooled engines for yeah. years. But Chevy did it, and it was a great economical car for the time. Um, and this guy Mitchell sent me photos of my car. I called her Sandy. And he said, Sandy's doing well. She got a fresh coat of paint. Um, and he put in the correct steering wheel and just did little things. And he just adores the car. And I'm so happy to see it doing so well. And I know he drives it. So it's great. Well, there you go. You have a whole 30-minute episode just doing what Mitchell did to the car. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I need to follow up with him. So, yeah, I mean, I can, I'm, I'm shooting content, so video and photos and it's uh look check out the instagram as it goes so Absolutely. i'll be posting a lot more yeah listen i have a thing that i want everyone who participates on this to think about and elaborate it's, it's really simple it's three things that you would like to have learned early on or three mm. things that you would like to pass on to somebody who's trying to get somewhere you know hmm three things okay one thing I wish I'd learned early on hmm I wish that I'd gotten a classic car earlier in just in regards to my life mm -hmm. um, and just as a woman in the professional field wish that I'd had more confidence younger and a mentor I think I would say so one okay one would be I wish I'd gotten a classic car earlier two and this is for me and for anybody who's listening would be find a mentor that's huge I had no idea what mentors really did and what they meant for you as a professional find someone in the field that you want to be working in and pick their brain and and because you know if I talk to younger people now and I love giving people advice mm -hmm. because I didn't have that I never had you know, certainly didn't have a woman in my life that was able to say, here's how you navigate this. In the professional field, there's there's just ways that you can position yourself and grow and really expand your portfolio and and, um, and move up in the world. And I never had a mentor. So I've just recently been finding some and it's, it's life-changing. It's incredible. So find a mentor. And I wish that I found a mentor earlier. I just, I went about it on my own stubbornly and like no I got this um it's they help you kind of create a path for yourself and it is about making steps it's this step leads to this step it's it's not looking at the big picture and trying to do everything at once it's it's slow steps but it's yeah. just going on that path and having someone support you along it even if it's someone that you talk to once every six months it, it makes a huge difference Absolutely. and then third I would say hmm Something I wish I knew. Hmm. I guess this would be more recent. Um, I wish I'd kept a journal more. I wish that I'd, you know, I've got a photo journal and I do want to create a book for my 20s. My, my 20s were insane. I was traveling and meeting people, but I wish I'd written more. I wish that I'd sat down and wrote how I felt because I think even looking back on that now and the little bit that I did write, helps me reflect upon, oh, I was at this point, how I was feeling. And you can even grow in the present by looking at what you were doing in the past. So keeping a journal 
even if it's just at the end of every day, this is what I was doing is how I feel mm. for self-reflection purposes. And just to see it on paper, I think I wish that I'd done more of that. I think that's, if I had a regret, that would be one of my only regrets is just not writing to myself more. And it's something that a lot of the masters on the masterclass um, shoots that we'd be on, a lot of them would do this. They would sit and write to themselves and write down their goals and dream. And if they had bad days, they'd write about it and, and keep them and keep them close to their heart, you know, and be able to reflect on them in their professional career. I think mm. a lot of people in any field have done that. So yeah. that's a, that's a pretty big one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said something that, you know, struck a chord to me, which was, uh, if I had any regrets. Yeah. I don't like to think about regrets because I'm li I try and be as present as possible. I do look back a lot. I do reminisce. I'm so nostalgic. It's it's crazy. I've got so many photo albums on my phone that are oldies and, you know, this one road trip and this. And I love looking at, like, the photos I can feel a lot from and I know how I was feeling when I shot them. But yeah. You're looking for the emotions. You're not looking yeah. for the exact content. It's just the emotion that you got from wherever you were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it all tells a story. Yeah, exactly. Well, listen, this yeah. has been amazing. Thank you so much for taking time to do this. And I really hope that you get some crazy cars and that they'll, <laughs> they'll take you across America. And, you know, if you're coming to Europe, then, you know, hope, hope you come to Sweden and get some time to be here and explore. If I still have my car, you can use that for a while, drive around. That would be fun. Yeah. It's funny. I was supposed to go to grad school in um, Malmo with mm -hmm. my buddy I was in college with he he decided to do that and get a graduate degree in sustainability mm -hmm. I decided to go up to masterclass so I reached that that fork in the road and I chose the job at masterclass and that's I do not regret that part no. of me is wanting to have had that experience for a year I think it was just a year program in Sweden that would have been amazing because his his stories from there were great and just the culture and everything. So mm -hmm. I've never been there. So I'd, I'd love to come visit sometime. There are planes we'll every day. So just, you know, just give me a text <laughs> if you're coming. Definitely. Yeah. And if you're ever on the West Coast, any literally anywhere on the West Coast, I'll be around somewhere. I want to drive that Kia. The, oh, the Kia. Yeah. Yep, it's going to be black and white. It's really? going to be. Yeah. I'm calling it Ilford after the first <laughs> black and white film I shot with. Okay. So That's come drive Ilford before I sell Ilford because I'm going to sell Ilford probably in the next year and <laughs> get Jeez. the next one. Oh, okay. I hope I'll make some money that I can use for that then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ship it over. Thank you. All right. Mm -hmm. Thanks for a really inspiring day. talk. Yeah. I'll try. Yeah, I'll you're so welcome. I'll be going on a drive with my car for a while and I'll be thinking of the different cars and the, and the scenic routes that you're taking. They might not be the same here, but, you know, there's always the fantasy side of going into your brain and taking a route anyway. Yeah, definitely. And document it. Take pictures. I'll try to GoPro stuff, and I'll try to take a lot of pictures. Depends on how much, you know, hard disk space I have, because I want to save that for all the music I'm making. Mm, definitely. Three well, the albums. iPhone iPhone and Androids take beautiful pictures Absolutely. and I honestly I shoot a lot of what I shoot with my iPhone mm. it's just amazing yeah they are great. so yeah get more cloud storage and go for it <laughs> <laughs> that's the way to go all yeah. right <laughs> have a wonderful Sunday thanks for chatting with me I appreciate it it was um 
really nice to reflect on all this stuff and yeah. get to know you a little more. Sure. Thanks again. Bye.